0: Hello and welcome to Jetavana Rama Buddhist Monastery. We meet again, and this time with the fifth episode of our new series of Dhamma Talks titled, Buddha's Guide to Happiness. It might seem like a wonder to some who perhaps may be joining us on this episode for the very first time, why it is that we need a guide to happiness. Isn't happiness something so obvious? Is it not something that we have experienced and enjoyed all our lives? Do we need someone to teach us about happiness? I mean seriously? Maybe some thoughts that come in people's minds and that is perfectly reasonable. It is perfectly reasonable because throughout our lives during our formative years and as we have evolved and as we've grown up and become adults and learnt about the world around us we seem to have picked up what happiness means to us along the way now it is obvious though that people do all sorts of different things in the name of happiness and for the sake of happiness but it is also Obvious that people don't seem to be content with the things that they do. And this is why, every day, people are always trying to do something different, trying trying out something new, a new experience people always like to have. If there's a new restaurant opening up in town, then the next question that comes to mind is, when can I go and try that out as well? If you see a new item of food appear in a menu or perhaps a new aisle in the supermarket, then you want to try that out as well. If there's a new flavor in which you can buy ice cream, you'd want to try that out as well. If there's a new TV channel, you'd want to watch that as well. A new TV program, you'd want to watch that as well. If there's a new stage drama, you'd want to go and see that a new song, a new album, you'd want to download it and listen to it. And this is why from time to time you get various hits. It becomes very popular. And then, as, as popular as these things might become, something we know for certain is they don't live for very long. Very soon, something new turns up in the block and then that becomes the new hit. So you see, this thing that we experiences, happiness, I think it would be fair to say, has been very incomprehensible, very difficult to understand. We always seem to be going after it, but never seem to be able to completely, fully achieve it. It seems to be very evasive, like an oasis in the middle of a desert. You keep on going, it looks like it's there, so you don't ever give up, but you just keep on going. Because no matter how far you go, you're never going to reach it. It's a bit like a mirage in the desert. You keep on going in the hope that you will reach it. It looks like it's there, and from afar you can see all sorts of evidence that There's water in the distance, so you keep on striving to get there. But no matter how far you travel, all that is left at the end of it is effort. You're tired, exhausted, fatigued, and a never-ending hope simply keeps pushing you, driving you there, but something you never achieve. Is happiness something like that? Is it a mirage? Are we all going after a mirage? I think this is, it's high time we start to ask these questions of ourselves. So today, as we take another step forward on our journey, trying to figure out what's going on with us, what's happening with our lives, and how it is that we can perhaps, hopefully, somehow achieve a happiness that is never-ending. A happiness that we don't really need to work hard for. A happiness that is ours and ours to keep. Let's take another step on that journey today with this talk. And before we commence, let us take a moment to pay veneration to the Lord Buddha. And we will continue from there on. Namo bhagavato arhato Sama sambudhas, namo thas Bhagavato arhato. Sama sambudhas, namo thas Bhagavato arhato. Sama sambudhas. So, is happiness a mirage? What do you think? you strived for it throughout your life to get there, to achieve it. But did you ever actually achieve it? Have you? For instance, if you are happy, if you are content, if you are satisfied, would you need to keep on trying to be happy? Have you never had those days where you feel it's just a great day today, everything's just going to plan, it's a wonderful day. The weather's great, right? And th- things seem to be just all going like clockwork. Everything you've planned is just going smoothly. And then you feel, you know, today's a wonderful day. It's a perfect day. And I'm just so happy. And I'm just in, in a state of pure bliss. Almost every one of us have had days like that in our life. However, as much as we have days like that, We can be sure of one thing. Soon after, things will go haywire. This experience of pure bliss can be turned upside down the following day, or perhaps even a few moments after we have had that initial thought. So, it then becomes evident to us that the happiness that we seem to have accepted and that we have learned to live with Is not something that is ours to keep. It is very transient, ever-changing and so we seem to be always in a one step behind happiness. As soon as you achieve it, it seems to move a step forward and then you run after it and the moment you grab hold of it, it seems to escape. So you're always one step behind it and it's always one step ahead. It's like the carrot tied to the donkey. It's always one step ahead and the donkey is always one step behind it. But because the donkey can see the carrot, it never stops walking towards it. And so at the end of any amount of time, all that has happened is the donkey tires out. It's exhausted. It's fatigued because it has made great effort to walk towards the carrot, being ever hopeful that it's one day going to be able to taste this carrot that smells so delicious. But never does the carrot get eaten, because never does the carrot fall into the donkey's hands. Is happiness something like that? We need to take a moment to think about this for ourselves, because, well, to be fair, we don't want to think of ourselves as donkeys now, do we? If you recall, in the previous week, we discussed a distinction between happiness, and pleasure. Do you remember? I propose to you, let us consider happiness to be something that is unconditional. Now, I'll be the first to admit, it is not something that I have explained to you as yet in full detail. And right now, you may even be suspicious, or you might be doubtful if something like that could ever exist. An unconditional happiness... Happiness that is not conditioned? Happiness that does not depend on various internal or external factors? Is that even possible? And it's quite right that you question that because throughout your life, I think it would be fair to say, you may never have experienced that sort of happiness. We took several examples in our previous talk and I invited you to think along the same lines. And what became evident to us was that whenever we have experienced happiness in our lives, it has always required various factors to come in line, to organize themselves, with our effort or without our effort. Normally, usually, with our our effort. But nevertheless, it has always required something to go to plan. Whose plan? Our plan something to be in the right order, right in line, just enough, and so on. So you see, our happiness has always been dependent rather than independent. And this is why I proposed to you last week. From here on, let us consider happiness to be something that is unconditional. And this may be pure theory right now, and that's perfectly fine. Let's leave that for now, because we will come to that very soon. And the distinction between that and the other kind of happiness, which is conditional happiness, is that, well, this is the happiness that we all so well know. Happiness that is achieved when all sorts of things happen to plan as we expect them to. Isn't that right? So, for the purpose of our discussion, I proposed let's refer to conditional happiness as pleasure. And I think you'd be perfectly fine with that because it is, quite rightly, pleasure that you experience when you experience conditional happiness. So now we have two terms, unconditional happiness or simply happiness for the purpose of our discussion and conditional happiness or pleasure for the purpose of our discussion. So let's proceed with that. Let's discuss a little bit more in detail about what pleasure is. What does it mean to you? We've all experienced it at some point in our lives and it is something that we always enjoy. We like to be in pleasure. We like to experience pleasure. And I think you'll agree that pleasure can be experienced both mentally and physically. Is there anything wrong with it? That's not the question that I want you to ponder about. It's not whether it's wrong or right. Because the moment you look at the world as being right or wrong, then it's difficult to understand things that way. But rather, instead of asking the question, is it right or wrong, how about we try to understand why or what pleasure is and leave the judgment for later. Let every man be a judge unto himself, whether it's right or wrong. That is not what we need to really ponder about. But what is pleasure? Do we really understand pleasure or have we simply taken it for granted? Do we know how pleasure works? Do you know how pleasure works? Do you know why sometimes you feel good about certain things and you don't feel so good about others? Do you know why you have good days and bad days? Do you? Do you know why it is that you enjoy certain tastes and you don't others? Do you know why some things look pleasing to the eye, whereas others are quite distasteful. Do you know why some things please your five senses, whereas others are quite the opposite? Do you know why? Do you know yourself? Do you understand how all these things work? You know, we do spend quite a lot of time trying to understand the world around us, don't we? Right from school to college, university, and then on as well, we've dedicated entire lifetimes to understanding the world around us, from biology, to geology, to geography, to economics. But how little time do we really invest in understanding ourselves? This is quite interesting because our aim, our ambition is to be happy And it's the happiness that we feel on the inside that we are after. We want to be content, we want to be satisfied, and that is an an internal experience. However, we seem to look for answers on the outside, don't we? Do you see the irony there? To keep ourselves happy, we seem to be looking for answers on the outside. What if the answer is really on the inside? If that were the case, then shouldn't we be spending more time learning about ourselves than perhaps the time that we put in learning about the world outside ourselves. I'm not saying it's we shouldn't learn about the world around us. We certainly should, but I think we spend far too little time learning about ourselves. We are far too preoccupied learning about what goes on around us that we forget to learn about what goes on inside of us. The Buddha's Guide to Happiness is all about shifting our focus from the outside to the inside. Because the answers lie on the inside. Now, don't take anything I say for granted. I want you to be alert. I want you to be attentive. I want you to be curious. And I want you to trust me, but I would like you to verify. That's the way we should operate. Trust, but always verify. Because if you don't trust me, then you'd find it very difficult to listen to, the, to, to my talk until the end of it. But if you don't verify, then this is not going to be true for you. So my invitation is, be attentive, be a good student, Trust, but always verify. I'm not asking for any followers. I'm asking for everyone to remain a good student. Because what is it that we are studying here? The subject of our study, the discipline that we are studying here is truly ourselves. So my invitation, my very first ask of you is really, let's take a a moment to shift our focus from the outside to the inside. Pleasure. What is pleasure? We have always come to learn pleasure as something that comes to us from the outside, isn't it? I'm giving you some time to think about this. What are some things that bring you pleasure? The more, as soon as I ask you this question, your mind's running at hundred miles an hour because there are so many things you could think of, right from the things you like to eat, the things you like to see, the places you like to go, the people like you, you like to be with, the things you like to do, music that you like to listen to, oh sorry, songs you like to listen to, movies you like to watch and so on. So there are lots of things that bring you pleasure and you see we seem to work on the premise that there are things on the outside that bring us pleasure So, if there are things on the outside that bring us pleasure, right there we have come to accept that we are recipients of pleasure from the outside world. So, pleasure is something that comes to us from the outside. In other words, we are at the mercy of the world outside of us, the world around us. And by world, what I mean is not the planets. Of course, what I mean is the people around us, the things around us, events that take place outside of us. It is these things, these people, these events that bring us pleasure. This is what we have come to accept. And therefore, we seem to seek refuge in a material world. Because you need the materials to make you happy. And by materials, I don't simply mean solids, liquids and gases. I mean simply anything, any entity that sits external to you. We seek pleasure from the outside. And that is why we need a lot of things around us. Take a moment to think about all the things that you have worked so hard to gather around yourself, to acquire, to build, to collect the things that you like to see. You may have by now, a good film collection. The things you like to listen to. You may have a very good song collection. Music library. The things you like to read. A good book library. You may have, you may be a member of a particular social club where you go to socialize. Have fun. So it's the people there that make you happy. The experiences you have when you are there, that makes you happy. You may may have a favorite restaurant that you like to eat at. And there you will have a favorite dish, perhaps. Most of you will have a favorite item of food. You may open up your cupboard and you'll see your favorite shirt, your favorite pair of trousers, your favorite dress. You have a favorite pair of shoes. A watch that you quite like, maybe a hat or a cap, maybe a piece of jewelry that is your favorite. Perhaps you like to wear your hair in a particular way, maybe it's your makeup. You like to look a certain way, then look at the world around you, the things that you have around you, at home. You may have ornaments of various sorts. Maybe your sofa and you're very particular about the color or the texture of the fabric. Perhaps it's your curtains. Did you choose that color? Maybe it's your carpets. Is it to match the rest of the upholstery? Maybe it's the fragrance that you have at home. Is that your choice? Did you choose it? Is that because, isn't it because you like it? because you enjoy it, because you find that experience pleasurable. There'll be places you like to go, you'll have a favorite park, maybe you like to see ducks in a pond, perhaps you like to go to the zoo, perhaps you like to see waterfalls, or maybe it's bird watching that is your cup of tea. See, no matter where we look, if we take a moment to study our lives, and this is what we're doing here, we are studying our lives. This is the study of ourselves. All our lives we've spent so much time studying the world around us. Now I'm inviting you to study yourself, because this is the greatest study of all. And why do I say that? It's for the very very reason I explained earlier. We study the world around us for the sake of happiness, because we believe that when we become experts in those fields, we will be able to be happy. However, if happiness is something that is on the inside, that is within ourselves, then really, is it not ourselves that we need to spend a lot more time studying than the world around us? That's something for you to think about. So going back to what we were talking about a moment ago, these are things that make us happy and these are all things on the outside. And we do them. Why? We do them because they bring us pleasure. Now again, you see, because they bring us pleasure. Or you could say, because we find them pleasurable. So it is that activity, it is that sight, that sound, the smell, the taste, touch. I mean, at the end of the day, these are the, these are the five sensory inputs that we are going to have to distill all our experiences down to, right? Through your eyes, you can't all, the only thing you can get through your eyes is sight. The only thing that you can get through your ears is sound. The only thing you can get through your nose is smell. The only thing you can get through your tongue is taste. And the only thing that you can get through your body is touch. Well, of course, there is heat and you can experience cold. So, temperature changes, pressure changes, Of course, there are receptors for all these sensory inputs, but at the end of the day, it's something that comes from the outside world, a sensory input. So no matter what we experience, they have to be distilled down to these five sense inputs, sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. So when we say that we enjoy pleasure that comes to us from the outside world, this is why you like a chocolate ice cream. Why did it have to be a chocolate ice cream? Why could it not be a vanilla ice cream? I might ask you. And then you'll say, well, it's because I, it is chocolate ice cream that I like. Chocolate ice cream is my favorite. Chocolate ice cream is what brings me the most amount of pleasure. In other words, what you're saying is, chocolate ice cream has pleasure in it. And it is that pleasure that you are able to absorb from it when it touches your tongue. Isn't that right? I can show you a picture drawn by a world-famous artist. And you look at that and you say, wow, that's a beautiful picture. It's a very beautiful painting. And when you close your eyes, you don't feel the same. So you open your eyes and you look at it and go, wow, that's beautiful. So you see, you can be forgiven for thinking that it is the painting that has pleasure. And then when you keep your eyes open and you look at it, this pleasure somehow transfers from the outside object to yourself. This is how we feel. This is how we think the world around us works. But is that the truth? I think it's time we start to question this. If it is the outside objects that bring us pleasure, let me ask you this question. And see what comes to your mind as an answer. Let's take a simple example. I'll go back to the chocolate ice cream. How much chocolate ice cream can you have before you get fed up of it? I think we talked about this last week as well. If all you were given was pizza for breakfast, pizza for lunch, and pizza for dinner, how many days can you go before you say, that's it, I'm sick of this. Isn't there anything else I could have, please? So you see, If pleasure is in the outside object, by object I mean absolutely anything, right? So it could be food, it could be drink, it could be another experience, an event, a person, anything really. any entity that is on the outside, any entity that you can experience through your five senses is what I mean by an object. It's like when we studied physics. An object is in motion, so that object could be absolutely anything. It could be a planet, something the size of a planet, or it could be something the size of a needle, and anything in between. So when we, if we work on the premise that pleasure is something that comes to us from the outside world, from the outside world objects, then how is it that we can get fed up of certain things? Almost all things we can get fed up after some point of having it in our lives. And we go into a mode of taking things for granted, don't we? Even if it's people, for instance. See, some people we yearn to be with. We long to be with. I'll take a typical example. Let's imagine a loved one. They have decided to travel to another country for some time. Let's say for a few years. Now that departing, that that. That departure is quite painful. It could be. So you cry, you weep, and you bid your farewells, and you say, Please keep in touch, please write to me, please call me, and you say your goodbyes. And so they get on a jet and then they fly. Now, after a while, of course, you want to find out how they're doing. They want to keep in touch with you as well. So, you know, the conversations, the letters, the messages, they become very endearing. You care a lot about them. And say after a while they say, okay, I'm coming back, let's say it's been a few years, and now you wait for their return. And upon their return, you might even go to the airport and wait upon them for their arrival. And when they arrive, you feel an intense sensation of pleasure. I mean, all you need to do is look in the Arrivals Lounge and you'll see exactly what I mean. People hug each other, they embrace each other, they hold hands and tears of joy start to flood. But what happens after that? You take them home with you, right? And if, you, I'm, if you've been on the receiving end of this treatment, you will know exactly what I mean. As I have, certainly in my life, as I said, This series of talks is based primarily on my experience in life and how I have used them to understand myself and how the world works. So, if you've been on the receiving end of this treatment, you'll know exactly what I mean. You'll be taken home and you'll be given top-class treatment, right? First-class treatment and everyone's just so nice to you. They speak to you in just very loving words, very endearing terms and they attend to every little need of yours to make sure you're fed, to make sure you're happy, to make sure you're content, and to make sure that everything you need is only a call away. But what happens eventually? What happens gradually? A few days pass, a few weeks pass, and what happens? Your presence becomes a very normal thing. All those niceties, all that All those endearing terms, all those hugs and embraces and smiles and all the time that they had for you very soon start to wither away and pretty soon you become a very normal person in their presence. Your presence becomes a very normal thing to them. And then no more first class treatment. I'm not saying people do this because they are vile or that people do this because they're bad people. Not at all. I'm just trying to explain to you why things happen the way they do. These Dhamma talks are to help us understand why things happen the way they do around us, not so much to try and change them. I hope you'll remember that for as long as you remain connected to these talks. The purpose of these talks is to help us understand why things happen the way they do. It is to understand the logic behind them, to be able to reason them, most of the time we find those events disturbing, painful, when we can't understand why they happen the way they do. So so normally, we have an issue with what has happened only when we don't understand why it has happened. But the moment you understand why something has happened, then usually you're alright with what has happened because you understand this is the way it was meant to be. So I'm asking you to consider... These experiences that you will have, most most of you will have had in your life, and to try and explain them using what you learned through these talks. So why is it after a few days, after a few weeks, that first-class treatment simply does not prevail? You've heard the saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Why? It's easy for us to say, well, that's just the way it is, but that doesn't quite explain life, does it? It's just stating a fact. It doesn't explain why it is like that. Think about it. You see, that first-class treatment that you received at the arrivals lounge, that was an experience of pleasure on the part of the person you met as you walked out of the airport and through the arrivals. So they experienced pleasure upon seeing you. What you witnessed was that outlet of pleasure. They were of the belief that you brought them pleasure. That is why they were waiting for you, counting their fingers, any time now. And so the moment they saw you, they thought, fantastic, lots of pleasure. Because the sight of you was what brought them pleasure. What was it? You see, if the sight of you was what brought them pleasure, how come seeing more of you starts to diminish that pleasure? What do you think? If the sight of you was what brought them pleasure, if your presence was what brought them pleasure, then when they take you home with them, so by them I mean your family, your friends, whoever, and now you're with them around the clock, how come that pleasure that they first experienced which spurted tears of joy at first sight, now doesn't quite do the same for them anymore. You have just become a very normal person. You've become an average Joe. How does that work? If it is the sight of you that brings them pleasure, then more of that should only bring them more pleasure, shouldn't it? Think about it. If there's a particular food, that you like and you enjoy and it brings you pleasure, then more of that should only bring you even more pleasure every time you have it. Shouldn't it? So with every bite you take, you must love it more and more. It is then not logically possible that you can get fed up of it, that you can become sick of it, that you will eventually ask for something else instead of it. How is that possible? If pleasure is something that comes from the outside world objects, people, events, and so on, as you increase their frequency, then surely you should have a... If there's a direct connection between the outside world objects, and if pleasure is something that comes from the outside world, then the amount of pleasure that you experience should increase directly proportionally. But is that your experience of pleasure? Or is it quite the contrary? Is it not that on first sight you experience the most amount of pleasure or in the, on the, in the first bite you experience the most amount of pleasure and then eventually that amount of pleasure, that intensity of pleasure begins to diminish. And very soon that becomes just a, an average sight, an average taste. An average experience. Why is that? Why do you have to keep changing your perfume? When you go to the shop, you try out different perfumes, won't you? To see, hmm, what might I like this time? Maybe it's your soap. You try different things. And that's not because your soap doesn't wash you very well or doesn't clean you very well. Maybe it's because of the smell. How does that work? How come you can get fed up of it? Even loved ones, people fall in love, head over heels in love and then they promise each other that they'll be with each other for the rest of their life and then they actually start to be with each other in the hope of being with each other for the rest of their lives. But what happens soon after? Do you always feel the same way about the same person every day? Something that is beautiful today can soon become an eyesore, you can get fed up. What is beautiful today may be ugly tomorrow, how does that work? What is delicious today can be quite distasteful tomorrow, how does that work? Think about it. So then is it possible that these outside world objects can bring you pleasure? If pleasure is something that comes from the outside, then it must logically be able to bring you continuous, a continuous flood of pleasure. with every bit of it that you experience. And if that were true, ladies and gentlemen, you would never need more than one of one thing. For instance, if you find cheesecake to be tasteful, then you wouldn't need any other item of food to experience pleasure. Because with every bite of that cheesecake you should be filled with euphoria. With every bite it becomes even more tasteful and it becomes even more pleasurable. You, are so, you become so full of pleasure that you wouldn't need anything else. But it doesn't work like that, does it? I'm offering you various and numerous examples and I invite you to come up with your own examples because as I said, trust but always verify. You can't verify with my examples, you can only verify with your own examples because you are the expert of your life. These concepts will still hold true but I invite you to verify them, test them in the lab of life. I'll give you another example. So I talked about some examples that involve sights and smells and being with another person and being distanced from them and so on. What about physically? What about physically? When you sit down for anything, watching TV, listening to this talk, reading a book, right? You normally pick a posture that you find comfortable, right? So whenever you sit down, you, people normally have a default posture that they slide into. So it could be cross-legged, could be arms folded, could be arms and legs extended, whatever. Whichever posture you find comfortable. So now we're working on the premise that that posture is something that we find comfortable, right? But what happens after a few minutes? Maybe after maximum half an hour, you'll want to change posture. Why? Why do you want to change posture? Because if the original posture in which you sat or lie down is most comfortable for you, then why would you want to change that posture? Because what happens is when you change posture, you feel pleasure don't you? So you sit down in one particular posture, and you may have shifted posture several times throughout the the course of this talk. But as you sit down in one posture, in one place, after a while, you shift. You make yourself comfortable. You slide down in the chair, you sit up on the chair, cross your legs, extend your legs, and so on. Because you find the posture that you were in becomes uncomfortable over a period of time. And then when you shift that posture, immediately you feel a sense of pleasure, don't you? So if pleasure is in the posture that you sat in initially, then remaining in that posture should continue to flood you with pleasure. So the longer you sit in that posture, the longer you should be able to experience pleasure. And pleasure should just continue. It'd be a continuous feed of pleasure. But it doesn't work like that. In fact, the most amount of pleasure you feel is at the moment of changing posture. Try it out just now. If you change your posture right now, you'd say, let's change my posture to something a bit more comfortable. Right? So a bit more comfortable. So when you change posture, posture, that is more comfortable, that is more pleasurable than the one you were in a moment ago. But for how long? Not for very long. Doesn't that tell us something? It tells us that comfort or pleasure that is associated with comfort is not in the posture. That is why as you shifted posture, you felt comfort, you felt pleasure, but pretty soon, it's not going to be pleasurable anymore. And then as that pleasure starts to diminish you will need to change posture again in much the same way that you had to do when it came to experiences that you received through the other senses such as eyes, ears, nose, tongue. I'm trying to show you and hopefully you are with me on this that We need to try and understand pleasure in ways beyond how we have always tried to understand them. Today my intention is simply to get you to start thinking about it. We will discuss this in more detail as we go forwards in our on our journey. And I know this might be Something you've never considered before. It might be a shock to some, perhaps, because you're beginning to see things in a light that you'd never seen before. It might be new ground for some. It might be a shock to the system for others. But ultimately, If you have faith and listen to what I have to say, but then you trust and then verify using your own life experiences, you'll begin to realize, just maybe, just maybe, that this is the truth. What happens then is simply that you begin to understand yourselves better. Let's be honest, we have done everything in our lives in the pursuit of happiness. We have always thought that happiness comes to us in the shape of sights and sounds, smells, taste and touch As in, sensory inputs from the outside world But, as we dig deeper, as we begin to ponder about this It begins to dawn upon us that maybe, just maybe, there's another version of the truth In other words, maybe what we always thought was the truth is not the truth. Maybe it's time we need to open our eyes and see things in a new light. Perhaps pleasure is overrated. The purpose of this talk has been to try to get you to further contemplate and question, debate within your own mind. To question the, something that you believed was a fundamental truth up until now, that pleasure came to you from the outside world. It was the sights and the sounds, the smells and the tastes that brought you pleasure. I'm asking you to reconsider. I'm not quite yet proposing, well, if that is not the source of pleasure, what is it? That is not something I have tried to answer in today's talk. But that is something I'll pick up in the, in the next talk. Today, I just want to plant this seed with you. Because I know a week is a long time. And in that week, you will be thinking about this you'll be thinking about what you heard. One step at a time is perfectly fine. So, throughout the course of this following week, what I'd like you to think about, if you find the time to do this, is to take as many examples as you possibly can and verify what we have discussed today. Is, it, is pleasure something that comes to you from the outside world? You don't need to go anywhere to do this study. All you have to do is to look at your own life, the things that you do in your life. How many times can you watch the same episode of Simpsons? How many times can you watch the same episode of the same TV program? How many times can you watch the same movie over and over and over again? And I don't mean space it out. I don't mean that. I don't mean if you space it out, you know, say once a year and I watch it every year on my birthday. That's not what I mean. I mean, if there's a particular movie that you like, it's your favorite one, okay? Or if there's an episode of a TV series that is your favorite, or if there's a song from a particular album that is your favorite, without spacing yourself out. So you can't listen to it today and then maybe listen to it again in a couple of weeks' time. That's not what I'm talking about. Why is that not what I'm talking about? Am I trying to cheat the system? Oh, no. My point here is, folks, if it is the song, if it is the film, if it is that book, if it is that slice of cheesecake, if it is that apple, if it is that chocolate, if it is that perfume, whatever the case might be, X, you can substitute X with X Absolutely anything in this world. Absolutely anything in this world. If X is what brings you happiness. If X is what brings you pleasure. Then if, it, if that is a source of pleasure. Then more of it can only mean more pleasure. You have to agree with me on that. Surely. But. But. Does our experience agree with that? Theoretically, that seems to be true. If, I mean, this is a hypothesis, isn't it? What is the hypothesis? That pleasure exists in the outside world objects. By objects, I mean people, experiences, events and so on. Anything that is an outside entity. If they bring us pleasure, then more of it can only bring you more pleasure Theoretically, that has to be true. If the hypothesis that pleasure exists in the outside world objects is true, then more of it can only bring you more pleasure. But does that agree with your life experiences? Or is it the opposite that is true? Meaning, if there's only so much of something that brings you pleasure, after a while, you get sick of it tired of it, enough of it. Anything that is tasteful, after a little while becomes distasteful, isn't that so? If that were the case, and if that is the case, seems like that is the case, if that is the case, then is our hypothesis that pleasure is in the outside world objects, can we accept that as being true, or will we have to reject it and look for an alternative truth? In the course of next week, I want, I'd like you to think about this and continue to ask yourself this question. Is it in the outside world objects? If so, why is it that there's, I have to draw a line and say, that is enough of it. I'm enough, I've had enough of it. I don't want any more of it. Please take it away. I'm getting sick of it. Remember, this is not simply true with physical, material objects, but also with People. You don't feel the same way about the same person every day. After a while, they just become a very normal person. You don't feel they are very special anymore. That is when we say you have started to take people for granted. And that's when you have problems in families. Sometimes the most loving couple, they get married today, in a week's time. Unfortunately, they are divorced. Sometime in a year's time, a couple of years' time. If happiness was something that was brought to you by your partner, if it is their presence that brought you happiness, if it is they that brought you happiness, then surely living with them can only enhance that pleasure, enhance that happiness limitlessly. But does that agree with life's reality? I'd like you to think about this. And we'll continue the discussion next week. So before we conclude, let us take a moment to transfer the merits that we have acquired. Now when I do the merit transfer, you may hear me saying sadhu 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 on, a se- on several occasions. I promised you that I'd explain these things from time to time. We are in no rush here, let's take our time with these things, and today I'll briefly mention to you why it is that I say sadhu. Sadhu is simply an applause. So it's like, I'd say, the equivalent of Amen in church. It is is the applause that we convey to the aforementioned expression, whatever that might be. So when we say let us take a moment to transfer merits to our teachers, our friends, our families and so on. And then to the, the culmination of that, the applaud to that is sadhu sadhu sadhu. So it's the word that we use in Buddhism, but you know, you could use any word you like. That is perfectly fine, but you have to use something. So we use sadhu. And one final note before I conclude. You might wonder why all these colourful arrangements today, particularly today. There are flowers of all sorts laid out in front of me. These are all paper flowers and there are arrangements behind me on either side. As I mentioned on one occasion, at our monastery we have with us 60 to 70 odd monks, as well as Anagarikas who are due to become monks. And at our monastery, we have two things that we focus on. One, our happiness, and two, happiness of others. The reason we do all these programs, including this one, is so that we can bring to others, we can share with others what we do to bring us happiness. And one of the programs that we have, called Sivumagar, is our Dhamma school. So it's a school that we host for young children from the ages of 7 to about 14, both boys and girls, and we teach them, we share with them what we have done in our lives, what we have learned in our lives to experience the joy and the happiness that we have come to discover, that is unconditional happiness. And sometimes they may not understand things in the same lingo, in the same words that we might use to explain these concepts to adults. Therefore, we have a separate program for young children. And that is Siumaga. And what you see here today are the, is the handiwork of the students of siumaga We have about 300 students at the moment, a mixture of boys and girls, in the ages of 7 to 14, and it is they who have worked so hard to make this paper flowers, some of it origami I think, and they have offered it as an offering to the Dhamma, the Sangha and the Buddha. So they wanted us to arrange them here today to bring you this presentation. And well, there we go. So, in case you wondered, this monk has probably gotten, has not got any other thing to be working on. That he's probably spending most of his time making paper flowers. Well, actually I can't take the credit for it. It's all the young children from the Dhamma school who's done all this. And if you have a young child and you are interested in sharing some of this with them as well, so we have a program for that, then please get in touch. Details of how you could get in touch, you can of course find on our YouTube channel. It's in the description somewhere and let us know and we'll be more than happy to help. That's just a tiny bit of information about what we do at the monastery. As as time goes, I'll be able to share more with you as well. And uh, on that note, we will conclude today's talk. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage, in the form of the Sripitake, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer merits we have acquired to all the members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world including the chief prelates of all of the chapters, who have dedicated their lives to the noble path, and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all other monks resident at this monastery, as well as the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them, and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane, and may through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. There is also transfer merits we have acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us, in any way, shape or form. By the power of these merits they be, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments, and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble late fall path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbāna. Sadhu Sadhu sad. Let us also take a moment to transfer menace to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Shasana. Let us also transfer menace to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may through the power of these menace they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble late fall path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Let us also transfer a Meris to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all who have been our families and friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in every way they could. There is also transfer merit to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives and continue to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. May all who have lost their lives in the war, be they friend or foe, rejoice in the merit that we have acquired today. Let us also transfer merits to all those who have lost their lives in the natural calamities, such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides and pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara, let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them. And may, by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane, may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfil the meritorious deeds, fulfil the noble late fall path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu. And finally. Let us all resolve that, may to the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may to the power of all the merits we have acquired today, you and I, and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an arahatun Mahanse or an arahatmehinin Mahanse in this very life and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu. And on that note, we will conclude today's talk. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.